0: This is Kari Gale.
1: And this is Tony Kritz.
0: Welcome to the Pilgrim Loss Podcast, a space for those who wander and wonder. Well, good morning, Tony. Good morning.
1: Well, good morning, Kari. How are you? Happy good. election week.
0: Oof. Is that the correct um, descriptive for this week?
1: Sure. Happy is a state of mind, happy is as a, as a children's birthday party. Hey, we just had a Halloween. What's happier than Halloween? You know, except for when you're not allowed to go out and wear costumes and collect candy. But it was Halloween in name only, apparently.
0: Hey, I saw a lot of pictures of, of folks. They were still doing it. They were going for it, getting dressed up, doing the thing. I mean, I'm sure they were doing it safely, but there was a lot of uh, really fantastic costumes I saw on Instagram. I was like, you know what? Hey, good hey. job.
1: <laughs> hey, diddly. Happy Halloween. See, there's happy again. See, happy. Why can't we well, be happy?
0: I I'm more I'm 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 anxious. I'll be honest. I'm anxious and I'm trying not to be anxious because there's not a whole lot I can do at this point because my vote is in. It was in a while back. I voted the earliest I've ever voted before, as I wow. know a lot of people did. I didn't even have to mail it in. I, I went over and I dropped it in the ballot box because it was just a few blocks from my house.
1: You'll be happy to know that I used voting as an excuse to, wait for it, go on a long walk. <laughs> and I dropped my ballot box over by your house at the at the library by your at place. At the
0: library, right? At the Albina Library. Yeah, and
1: then I went for like a five-mile walk as an excuse. Oh, lovely.
0: Yeah. You know what? Really, that's all you can do these days is, is go on a long walk sometimes. Any
1: excuse to go on a long walk. Because, you know, pilgrims go on long walks. You know what I mean? See what I did there?
0: I you are so clever.
1: I know the cleverness just is. is just
0: oozing today. <laughs> well, um, speaking of political things and days and weeks and moments, you you yes. have uh, you 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 brought someone with you today on 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 our little little podcast.
1: I did. I did. We have a guest today. It is the first Tuesday of the month when we bring on a guest, and today I've brought my friend. Jason Atkinson and Jason, Jason, for all of you who don't know, Jason is a, an entrepreneur. He is a philanthropist. He is an activist. He is a, a former state senator. He was, he ran for the US Congress this last year. He is a man about the world. He has affected projects all around. He was actually oversaw the largest ecological restoration project in human history.
0: In wow. Restoring
1: the Klamath River in Southern Oregon. But more than that, he is husband to Stephanie, father to Perry, and my friend,
2: Jason Atkinson. Hello, Jason. Tony, good morning. Thank you for having me.
1: So good to have you, pal.
2: Well, I was hoping that this podcast is when I was going to debut this pilgrim beard that I've been growing for this very occasion. But <laughs> to no avail.
1: You look very pilgrimy. You look... Thank you. Like a character out of the Middle Ages. <laughs> well, thank
2: you.
0: Well, we can we can definitely get a photo of that beard, and we can use it as our no. as our as our cover image, Jason. No. Don't worry. Don't you worry?
2: I, I wasn't worried.
1: <laughs> so, um, Kari felt that um, it was it'd be important for us to uh, to talk a little bit just about these times you know being in election week being in you know possible well you know i i turned 50 on thursday so i've been 50 now for 5 days and um in my in my short 50 years <clears throat> these are the most seems like the most complicated and troubled times that i've ever witnessed would you would you say the same jason
2: no i wouldn't um... great I think that um, any a student of history would know that, that societies do go through these pendulums. And our country right now is uh, being torn apart by some variables that are predictive through history. Um, narcissism, selfishness, um, consumerism, um, really the, you know, the embarrassments of wealth and then then we have some things that are unprecedented. Um, we have uh, in our lifetime we 've seen the death of journalism we 've seen the complete collapse of um, uh, of uh, objective media and then we 've got this whole new platform where you any any American can consume the news that they most agree with so you know, those are the new elements. But do I think this is the worst ever? And that, no, I don't. Too much of an optimist. Well, love that.
1: Um, so, talk to us about navig like. So you've you've been around this world. You've been you've been in the room where it happens. You've been behind the curtain. Like, what what would you suggest to to sort of average citizen? The citizenry about how to respond right now and what what would be like.
2: Well, the response is this response is you, there's a fundamental thing that I think that that have people in disarray, and the disarray is that they're saying, "How come our leaders aren't leading?" So we do, and I agree, we have a complete failure of leadership, whether it's in the city of Portland. Uh, whether it's in our, our beloved state or if it's around the country, I think I think you can make a very strong argument that there's a failure of leadership. At the same time, you have to remember this fundamental thing about democracy, and that is, is that democracy rarely leads; it always responds. And so, when you see, especially a legislative branch of government like a Congress or a legislature or even a city council, they're not leading to be in front of society. They are reflecting society. And so if you see this great division that we have in Congress or in the legislature or in the city council, that is a reflection of the culture of the people who sent them there. Now, that is one of the most brilliant things about democracy. It's also one of the things that just makes my head spin because that's just not my leadership style. But Um, the, the hope to give folks is that if culture changes, if humanity changes, government will follow, but to expect government to lead the change is really, I think, a false narrative. Am I going too hard too early on you there, Tony? You look like your glasses are up on your head, Kari's like, oh my God, when is this going to be over? I mean, did just like screw up my first two answers? Where's the, the humor?
1: Come on. I wanted a, I wanted a, a couple jokes, maybe a All song right. and dance. Maybe we started out by singing Little Red Riding Hood. What happened?
2: Well, you didn't have the record button on. I know.
1: I'm, <laughs> I'm not, no, actually,
2: I'm, no, I'm not running anything. I can, you know, whatever.
1: Your answer is exactly what we were hoping for. Um, and, but what what advice, like so many people right now are are talking in such extreme terms, you know, mm-hmm. move to Canada, ride in the streets, you know, whatever.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: What, like, what do you, what advice do you give for people to like, this is how to be a sane human being in, in, a, in a season like this?
2: Well, that's a huge question. Um, You're let me go, let, let me go, let me go back just a, let me. let me go back a, a step before I answer your question. Take two cities um, that are very similar. We can easily do that in Oregon. I'm not gonna call it the names of the cities, but um, there's a very successful one in Central Oregon um, that is just growing businesses, it's growing family jobs, it's growing recreation, it's growing wealth. And then there's one that's similar close to it and um it's got all the same outdoor activities it's got a better infrastructure one of them's succeeding and one of them's failing so why is that uh one of them is excited to riot it's excited to uh, have trump rallies it's excited to have black lives matter rallies it's all this conspiracy stuff and one of them's just succeeding so what's the difference in those two cities and I've thought a lot about that because, being in the positions that I, I I have held, you want to do your best for those two different types of folks, even even though you represent them. And what I have come to find out is 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 probably not um, either politically correct or in a sociology book. But um, I have found that some growing places have pillars. They have grownups in their community. They have people who Uh, their presence or their cultural awareness is strong enough to correct other people's behavior. And then you have some that people of communities that just don't have that anymore. And so it's a run for all, it's a free for all, it's the how more extreme can we be for all. And in cases like that, there's one town I can think of when something bad happened, there was mass suicides, their murder rates went up, all these terrible things happened. And I believe it's because they were missing two fundamental things. Number one, they didn't have grownups in their cities anymore, either elected or non-elected, it didn't really matter, but they didn't have somebody who culturally was was being the goalposts of saying, you can go this far, but not any further. And they also had, uh, in in a lot of cases, a real background with some things that haven't been dealt with. In some cases, uh, I can tell you with precision, racism, um, they just had un, un, un unforgiven sins of racism from multi generations, and I, I just don't think that, it, the, in my belief structure, you can grow past that. So, what's my advice to people who are living in, and let's just assume your questions about Portland that want to riot? My question, my answer is, don't do it. Go. My, go. My, yeah, my my answer is, be the grown up. Uh, Be the pillar that the community needs. We don't need any more people throwing gas on fire. We need people who can listen and uh, And lead that's what the country needs right now.
0: No, it's more of a it's more of that just absorbing and and you know when you when you hear all the you know the talk it it really is this this you know the divisiveness of this side that side you know I mean, it's it's overwhelming and I mean, I'll be totally honest for most of my life because politics really uh, was something that uh, my father was very much into, but very extreme. And so politics was always related to rage. And so as a very young person, I stepped out of the arena, I thought, you know, if I don't know about this, then I'm not going to have to engage with this person. And I find that to be common in, in a lot of situations. People have decided to not talk about, about top politics because there's so much divisiveness in it. And so just to hear you talk about this in a way that is, um, it's, honestly, it sounds, very, it sounds very practical. Clearly, it's not an easy thing to do. But, but I, I think, I mean, I probably can count a handful of conversations in my life where I sat down and had a conversation about the political arena the what's going on in the world where people actually were able to have conversations and not end up yelling at each other. So probably what you're seeing on my face is just sort of, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm a little in shock because I'm like, Oh, wow, that's a really interesting point. And, and, and (laughs) we just, I think, I think honestly, I don't, I don't know that people have these conversations at all. I mean, what do you think, Tony?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, and I hear Jason's answer and me being, more on the progressive end than Jason is, you know, I hear that and I, I go, well, it's a little, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty easy to compare his anonymous central Oregon town to his, his anonymous Western Oregon town.
2: No, that wasn't Western Oregon, but yeah. anyway, I don't want to ruin your thing. Go ahead. I wasn't comparing it to Portland. It was oh. a very, another central Oregon town. Interesting. Well,
1: that's actually that's actually interesting because there, that's where I jumped to because I was like, well, there's a there's a lot of class and race diversity that Portland has to deal with that most towns in Oregon don't have to deal with. There's there's a lot there's a lot more going on from us from a civil and political standpoint. But you obviously disagree. I do.
2: But go ahead i <laughs> know no. i'm I'm, I'm,
1: hap- I'm happy to move on i just wanted to uh no no,
2: no no i i don't i'm sorry to step on your thought
1: no please i i'm so i i'm i'm gonna totally turn uh, okay. and i want to ask you a complete like academic question yes sir professor atkinson i have been one <laughs> i know um Can you please explain to me the difference between civics and politics? Uh,
2: If you look at the the definition of the word civility, civility is a form of politeness. Uh, um, It is a form of allowing somebody the benefit of the doubt. And so when we used to take that word civility and civics, civics was In the American tradition, it was the belief that all people, all Americans had a civic responsibility to make the country better. And so we can debate what better is, but historically, civics was taught in schools so that we knew our history, we knew our our present, we could classically uh, understand the difference between right and wrong, truth and, you know, bull and steak. And we had a civic responsibility. So um, that civic responsibility can be as small as to vote, to be as big as to serve on the school board or, or something. But you always had a civic responsibility. So one of the things that made us uniquely American was we have been through the Revolutionary War. We have been through the Civil War. We have been through, uh, effectively, uh, the 1960s and our civic responsibility was to continue the American dream forward. Politics is very different. Politics is a transactional art of getting something through a, um, a political body. So if that is a legislative body or an executive branch body it is the art of the deal. So politics is um, you know in some cases politics is based on personality. In some cases Politics is based on the raw numbers of, of votes that somebody needs to get something done. That's politics. Um, I think it was uh, the best definition of politics, I think, was uh, this uh, third grade kid who tried to break down the word politic and tick and, and tick, you know, is a blood sucking insect and poly means many. So, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but, but that's, what, that's what politics and, 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 and civics are. Every American I believe has a civic responsibility, but at the same time you have the pure passion to be turned off by how it's how the sausage is made. It's not pretty. I mean, we don't have a linear process of government. We have a cumbersome process of government. Our government was created because we had such a healthy uh, fear of creating a king that we put in so many multiple checks and balances, checks and balances, it's almost impossible to get things through government. It's very easy to stop things. It's very hard to get something through. And that, that process and those multiple layers of government that we all have is uniquely American because we're afraid that somebody would have power over us. And that's where it comes from.
1: All right. That was great. Was that professorial? Was that was. That your, yes, that's what absolutely. I've been trying to get you to talk about the entire time. So fantastic. All right. <laughs> um, change of gears again. Um, this podcast is called Pilgrim Lost. This is where we yeah. explore being a pilgrim in everyday life. Uh-huh. Um, I've known, I have known you for a long time. And one of the reasons why I think you and I are friends one one is this sort of belief in basic goodness like the the exploration of what it means to be human and you and i both attack that from several different levels you and i have both written books we've both made movies we've both done um this sort of exploration of the human human condition that's one part but the other part is i think and correct me if i'm wrong but i think you and i are both uh we are both chronically lost. I think you and I are both chronically lost. We are both wandering the world in different ways. But I've watched you. I've watched you wander the world. And I mean that in that in every time I call you, I have no idea what corner of the planet you are on, literally. Um, so in light of the fact that you've been everywhere, been involved in so many places around the planet what thoughts do you have on being a
2: pilgrim maybe in post you can put in the um the jeopardy a hard question i i i really wish i wasn't yeah, I really wish I wasn't, um, wasn't a pilgrim? pilgrim. Yeah. I wish it all came easy for me. Um, I wish I would have, uh, uh, I don't know. I, I, um, I, I do believe in public service. I believe in goodness. I believe in serving people, And um, I believe that if you give somebody a second chance, third chance, fourth chance, eventually they'll do the right thing. Sadly, I've been proven wrong um, every time. So, um, you know, I devoted 30 years of my life to being in public service. And in that time I stood up, I stood for what I believed was right. Not all, I didn't always get it right, but I very independent. I stood up against, you know, my party. I stood up against lobbyists, bullies. And, um, and I believed that all that eventually would, you know, um, be a benefit, but honestly it's not, I, I, um, I was a Fish and Wildlife Commissioner for a couple of years, and the people who came out to oppose my nomination were people I had 100% voting records with, 100%. Um, I just ran for Congress and lost after 30 years of trying. And, um, you know, Phil Knight spent a half million dollars against me in the last week, and they called me things that are laughable. Not true, but, uh, but they won, and I lost. All the lobbyists that hate my guts won, and I lost. So I really wish I wasn't. Um, but, um, yeah. So you know what well, I hear in why, why that? Do you, why don't you ask me something else? Because I don't like this question anymore.
1: I hear, I hear in that answer, which is interesting. I did not expect that answer. I hear, um, I hear the mourning. I hear, I hear, I hear hurt. And uh, it's interesting. It, you don't, I mean, I'm so thankful you came on, but um, we talk about grieving so much on mm-hmm. this podcast, inevitably. Because when we start to talk about being a pilgrim, inevitably we're talking about the quest for meaning and the fulfillment of this thing inside of us that we're all trying to get to this sort of wholeness, this our best self. And pilgriming. It involves a life of practice, trying to find sort of that best self inside of us, and inevitably, under the sun, to use a Bible term, under the sun, that leads to a state of of grieving, because uh, there there is getting we're getting banged against a bit in this world. So let me ask you. Let me ask you a an easier question.
0: He's like, please do.
1: so um so kari and i we go on pilgrimages Mm -hmm. go walk across spain right go walk into machu picchu you know these Mm -hmm. things and you did you did a pilgrimage a few years ago where you restored the klamath river you went on a long long quote-unquote walk to to create both the interpersonal energy, but also the political energy to take out, was it five dams and restore the Klamath River? Can you talk a little bit about what that experience was like?
2: Well, I, certainly certainly, I'm not the, the reason that everything happened. I um, am the person that, I, I was raised around knowing who all the players are, and so I knew all the players not from politics. Right. Um, which is very important. Um, and I was raised around most of the Native Americans. So in one part of the Klamath River, I'm still known as Tom's grandson, even though my grandfather's been gone since 1998. I'm Jason, still
0: where were you raised?
2: In a van by the river. Down by the river! <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was raised in Ashland, Oregon, but our family has been in um, the Klamath world this is our 90th year. Wow. We're one of the older white families uh, in the Mid Valley. And my grandmother was a Reagan-hating liberal. My grandfather was a Eisenhower Republican. And the only thing they agreed on is that their grandson was going to fix the Klamath River, which effectively they told me on my, as they, right before they passed away, it was was really an important thing. And I, I was working with uh, the Bush administration when we, um, behind the scenes, um, Scottish Power had owned the dams. They had owned Pacific Corps. They sold it to Berkshire Hathaway, Warren Buffett. And Bush, uh, Bush was president, and we had a small opening. And according to political rules, as you all know, um, Republicans hate the environment and hate rivers and hate fish and Democrats love them. And Republicans shoot them and hunt them and fish them and and Democrats don't. Those are the rules, whether you agree with that or not, that's the political rules. But we kind of were working around the political rules to get this deal with the Bush administration. And long story short, at 9-11, screwed things up before he left office, he put some things in motion. And um, I thought, behind the scenes, all the work that we had done, we had got the deal completed. And then what happened, folks on the far right thought it was some huge conspiracy. People on the, on the far left thought it was never good enough that the farmers were gonna get any water. And um, I was on a pilgrimage. Um, I was in Guatemala just going through a miserable personal time. And, um, and somebody asked me a challenging question, like if you, could, if you could get something done, what would you do? And then the, obviously the follow-up question is, well, why don't you do it then? Right. So I came out of this and um, a friend of mine launched a group called Save the Great South Bay off of Long Island, New York, which has under his watch really restored all of those historic oyster beds. It's a f- fabulous success story, mm. and I set out to do the Klamath, and um, I actually uh, took a sabbatical from public service to pour myself into this. I had no money. I wrote the entire plan on a cocktail napkin, which was um, get President Obama to sign off on this, and when President Obama calls his Interior Secretary, make sure that this Interior Secretary is on board. Number three, go completely around Congress because the people we have and had in Congress at that time would want to take credit, ergo, screw it all up. And um, we're going to make a movie. So we're going to legitimize it. We're going to legitimize the issue to an East Coast audience so that when Obama sees this and has moved, he's not going to check with our senators or in California, most of this river's in California. He's not going to check with them. He's going to check with political cover somewhere else. And uh, suffice it to say, um, we got the movie done, tested, it won 20 award, film festivals and all that stuff. But ultimately, we got the deal. And um, it was a lonely, miserable, hard thing that we did. And and we got it done. Yeah.
0: Wow. Do you feel like it really, like the, I mean, obviously, this is a, you gave us a really cliff version. But the, the... The fact that the art, that the visual, the movie really drove that. Could you have done that without that movie?
2: No. No. The movie, you know, um, if you remember the movie Super Size Me, which was not that great of a movie per se, but what it did do is a week after the movie was released, McDonald's dropped super fast food from their menu because they didn't want to handle the, the public backlash. And so that was really the model that, that that we did here, and we very strategically placed it before East Coast audiences right um, Most of the folks in Oregon California still is as, as much as we tried um, they ah, that's political, and then they don't they don't want to watch it, um, even though there's very little politics in the movie. Um, we had this mantra in the film that if you heal these people you 'll heal the river and so focus on telling the people side of the story first, so you know you've got. You've got Native American folks uh, uh, hanging out with uh, white farmers and eventually they become friends and and that's actually the crux of the story. Yeah.
1: So the the film is called A River Between Us. Is it Mm -hmm. still on Netflix, do you know, or is it... We're on Amazon
2: and iTunes. Amazon and iTunes, A River Between Us. Fantastic film. With our our mutual pal, Jeff Martin, who uh, put some of his gold emotion into it and uh made it from a a good movie into a perfect movie in the
1: i love the story for multiple reasons one it's my state and like you i'm a fifth gener, i'm i'm fifth generation oregonian on both sides of my family both my mom's side and my dad's side so uh we're we're very sort of old dedicated to this state and its beauty and its continued restoration in new ways but um i I also like it as a as a parable that people are not transformed by arguments. people are transformed by stories and relationships. that's what they're transformed by and what what the film did is it bypassed the the consternation of our culture by telling telling stories well and presenting human beings well
2: yeah, it's uh, the only thing we'd be able to the only the only common denominator is fear. People are afraid of something. They're afraid of the unknown. They're afraid that Donald Trump is going to destroy Portland. They're afraid that the liberal Antifa are going to burn the forest down. All that has a fear has got, a, got a, a thread of truth to it. But fear is exhausting. It is. It's too tiring. Okay. So why don't you just let go of fear and in the case of the Klamath, serve everybody dinner. We'll work it out. <laughs> That's right.
1: Salmon feast. <laughs> all right. I
0: think, I think you hit too like what you know when we talk about this anxiety and this stuff, it, it is it is all based on that fear and that the and then and then the narrative that people are spinning out of what they think will happen based on, you know, the stories they're telling themselves. And um and it's you know the conversations where you can sit down what you, you know you just said around a good meal and actually have a conversation actually have a discussion um, those are the points where people actually do come together and you know whether or not we can have those in the in in the in the eye of the storm here um, in the midst of this week you know we'll see but that's my hope i mean i have lots of close people who are voted very differently than me And I still love them. I still care about them. I still wanna hear their stories and what they care about, so.
2: Well, we've been here as a country, we've actually been here before. This isn't our first time. Right. This is part of the growing pains of being in a democracy. Um, This is, you know, we are, the sad part about where we are as a country right now is we're voting on personality, not on policies. And that's the entire presidential campaign right now. Do you agree with somebody's personality or not? We're not, we're not voting on policy. So that's sad. And the other part that's sad is that journalism's dead. Who believes anything um, written by what used to be reputable sources? I mean, in uh, one of my favorite newspapers in our state, um, great newspaper, great journalists, but to make money they had to put clickbait stuff on their website well that clickbait stuff completely devalues the work of real journalism and the same is true i mean if you i I do this all the time because i i'm working on another project about this and i'll click between cnn fox and msnbc cnn everyone's gonna die click over to fox um, something about Hunter Biden's laptop, click over to MSNBC and, um, you know, the world's going to explode in about three hours from global warming. And you're just like going, well, wait a minute. <laughs> how, can, how can three outlets be so off on the struggle of humanity that we have today? Um, people have lost their jobs. We have genuine race issues to deal with. We've got genuine health to deal with. We have real poverty in this country to deal with. We have kids that are now going to school online, which I personally don't think is the best way to educate a kid. You know you've got all kinds of things that are happening that are real. and the media is just not part of that at all. It's not part of our real life. It's part of what we click on to, get upset, create fear, and turn off. So it's it's a uh, th- that's what I think makes this makes tomorrow unique. All right, Jason, is there anything you haven't had a chance to say you would like to say before we uh, wrap up? No, I, I'm just sorry I was kind of a downer of a guest, boy, man. I mean, I thought this was, I thought, I thought you wanted me on here for like humor and short stories and, you know, have some fun. And instead, you asked me for pre- all this probing stuff that's miserable and
0: <laughs> real questions. You're,
2: you're probably only going to get like three people that listen. You're probably going to lose subscribers after this broadcast
1: so everyone listening your responsibility is to defend jason's um uh, tender heart by by not not only not unsubscribing but by by calling your friends and having them listen as well I'm gonna, I'm <laughs> <laughs> let's, have, let's have the greatest audience of all
2: time yeah, yeah. <laughs> wonderful thoughts enjoyed it. Thank you very much. hope it was
0: helpful. Thank you,
2: Jason. All right, everybody. Thanks for getting lost with us.
0: Thank you for walking with us. To stay connected, visit us at pilgrimlost.com. Please comment, share, and respond.